Hey, Dan Talks listeners. Welcome to another episode of Dan Talks. This week, I am talking to Sarah Arnell, who is the best-selling author of There Will Be Lobster, Memoir of a Midlife Crisis. I was fortunate enough to read the book prior to my conversation with Sarah, and I'll read you just a bit from the back cover. It says, if you're arriving to the midlife crisis party, the one that's serving low self-esteem, desperation, unreliable behavior, forgetfulness, carelessness, and the loneliness of loss, the stories and anecdotes in this memoir will assure you that you are not alone. For Sarah Arnell, it took a rogue lobster, a dying rock star, an 18-pound tumor, a meditation guru, a famous medium, and a former monk to put her on a path toward light, hope, and healing. If reading this book helps even one person, according to Sarah, then telling this story is all worth it. And I can personally attest to the truth of that. It was certainly worth it. It was a great read. Um, and what was also so interesting to me is that Sarah, who is a former advertising executive, was great friends with the amazing Andre Leontali. And he makes a cameo in the book. And I'm so happy I got to talk to Sarah about her relationship with him. And beyond that, it's just a great, a really well-written book, a really great story, and I think one that many, many people will relate to, midlife crisis or not. So, without further ado, here is the lovely Sarah Arnell. Sarah, many people venture to write a book or have the idea of, one day I'll write a book, I should, oh, I should start that, oh, I should finish that. You're one of the few who actually did do it. So tell me what that leap was like. Well, it... I think it took, unfortunately, uh, the isolation of COVID to basically force me to stay inside and actually deal with myself. Um, and anybody who's read the book, and maybe anybody who hasn't, because I talk about this a lot, um, I was diagnosed uh, several years ago with chronic leukemia, a type of blood cancer. So when the pandemic started and it was in the early days and it was so much unknown about it. I, I isolated really, uh, I isolated hard, so to speak, because I didn't know what that pandemic would do to somebody like me with an immunocompromised system. And so the more time I sat home alone, thinking about myself, how I was feeling, what I was going through really kind of in a solitary environment, it made me really think about some things in my life that I thought, maybe it's time to talk about it. Maybe it's time if you put your story out there, you can't be the only one sitting home alone feeling this way, is sort of what I thought. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe I could help someone. Um, so much of the book is filled with so many, I mean, so many of the moments are quiet moments with you and yourself that are sort of like, basically moments of depression, despair, do you feel like writing brought you back to those moments in a healing way? Or did it feel like you were reliving a lot of these sort of low points? Healing for sure. I mean, writing this book was a healing moment for me. It was also a healing moment for my family, my children in particular, because we sort of went through it together. They kind of watched their mother disintegrate a bit. And re-looking at it and having a book which really kind of has a positive ending and coming out the other side, um, it was definitely a healing process. Writing for me, and I think writing for a lot of people, is healing and should be healing. Um, it's the best way to, to, to deal with everything sometimes. 
I was so struck by the moment where you were saying something to your daughter about like, I'm such a, and you know, fill in the blank. And she was trying to tell you that, no, you weren't. And she made a whole PowerPoint of all these iconic women who you reminded her of. And then you, your res- tell listeners what your response was. My response was, so uh, I was really struggling with getting older and a lot of the physical signs of getting older. And I was feeling so much less vital than I, I wanted to feel. So she gave me this PowerPoint of all these incredible, powerful, smart women that didn't put necessarily, uh, they emphasize more their intellect and their inner power and their intelligence over more, I guess, physical aspects. And maybe that's a terrible generalization, but that's sort of what the PowerPoint was about. And I yelled at her. I told her it wasn't helpful. I screamed at her and and shut the PowerPoint and wouldn't talk to her for the rest of the night. But it kind of really hit home. I mean, she was right on as, as usual. One of the women was Gloria Steinem. And it, it's just sort of like, mom, you remind me of Gloria Steinem. And it's like, I should remind you of Giselle Bunchen, you know. Yeah, I was like, screw you, <laughs> you know. But, was it, but it's not really what I was wanting to hear at that point. I mean, geez, boy, if anybody said that to me now, I'd be like, oh, not even close. But wow, thank you. Um, yeah, but at that point, I was like, what? No. Do you think that um, your Do you think your history working in fashion and advertising contributed to like did? Being around in that world in New York, do you feel like you just internalize like, oh, I should be 22 my entire life? Yeah. Well, first of all, being being a woman in advertising when I was really um, uh, in the kind of peak of my career, I think in the you know late 80s and beyond, very male driven business, and you know looking a certain way was really kind of prized. It's always been a little hard for. I mean, you'll, you could read about it anywhere. O- older women is very hard for middle-aged and older women to even get hired sometimes because they're just not seen as relevant enough. Um, also, an advertising person, I knew how to hide behind an image really well, and I knew the value of an image. So I was really kind of struggling with how my image seemed to be changing as I was, you know, getting older and evolving in my life and my career. And uh, I like used all my advertising skills, believe me, to like, you know, show people only what I wanted them to see. Do you think there's some value in that for like, is there a healthy amount of like image cultivation that you think everybody should sort of engage in and how, and how, I guess the problem is people change brands you know try to stay the same and grow people evolve and change all the time do you think there's some sort of gap between like how you think about branding of a product or a company versus like how to present yourself I mean yeah I I guess you know I guess so for sure but I think that um we just have to be honest with ourselves like you know we can't stop the clock um, and what we can evolve to be, you know, the best we can be at any age at any time. And, and that means different things to different people. Um, but I was like fighting, was like fighting, fighting all the way. And that's something nobody could, that's a fight. Nobody can win. You know, you just have to keep going forward in life. One of the, um, I think, Maybe the way that I found your book almost a year ago, happy one year anniversary, by the way. Thank you. Um, was when Andre Leon Talley passed away. 
and um, you worked for him. It was like one of your first jobs was to work for Andre at Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? So I, I, we worked in like this big communal office with a bunch of other editors and I answered the phone. Um, you know, it was a early job and he was already a legend and I was just answering his phone and doing errands for him. And he was an incredible person to work for. And he was an incredible human being. We have, we stayed friends. He is my children's godfather and we have stayed close. He is such an amazing force. He was a magical person to have early in your career because he mentored people and he took you under his wing and he had no problem teaching you. He wanted to teach you. He wanted to mentor young people. I think that's missing so much today from business, this quality of mentorship with young people that are just starting in the world. And he understood that innately. And that's why I think we were friends till the very day he passed. What do you think, or what is your relationship with him now? Uh, with, with Andre? Yeah. I mean, I miss him. I miss him every day. Um, I wish he were still around to, uh, you know, be with me and be with the kids. Um, I think about him constantly. He was a huge supporter of the, of, of the book and was constantly, you know, saying, you must read Sarah's book. You've got to read Sarah's book. Um, and I just miss his, I miss the joy and the energy he brought to sort of everything. We were really close and I miss him. He makes sort of an incredible cameo in the book where you talk about seeing your ex-husband on the street in New York and describing to you exactly what he was wearing and the woman he was with and how like, you know, you're so much better or, you know, they can't touch your style. I forget what you, what Mm -hmm. he said that you added. Um, Your ex-husband, that's sort of the only appearance he makes in the book. And I imagine that that's totally intentional. Yeah. Yeah. So Andre was really funny because um, that was a a part in the book that Andre particularly loved. And he would say (laughs) to me all the time, I want to play myself in the movie version. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was really such a a fashion moment. You know, he was like crouched down in the back of a car service on his way to some fancy restaurant for lunch, reporting on it like it was a fashion moment, you know, like describing what everybody was wearing. And it was so funny and so classic. He loved it so much. The, um, the less you write about um, your marriage, the more it sort of loomed in my mind of what is the untold story here. And I don't need you to tell that story, but um, what, what was that? It, it was obviously a very clear declaration. And so it's sort of an unstated declaration. Is there anything you can share about that? Well, you know, it was an absolutely conscious decision to make this story about my journey with, with my children. And in the end, I wanted this book to end up, I wanted it to be a love story. And I think it turned out to be a love story where, and it's funny to think of it that way, because it doesn't quite read like that on the first go around. It's like, oh, this poor lady. But in the end, it really is a love story. It's about finding love for yourself. It's about reconnecting with the things that are meaningful to you and about reconnecting with your, you know, your family that you love that kind of went through it with you and and suffered along, suffered along with you, or at least watched you suffer and therefore suffered as well. So that was a very conscious decision to really make this a personal 
journey story about what I was feeling. This is a feelings oriented book, right? Mm -hmm. I talk a lot about how I felt and some of the things I tried to do to get out of it, some more successful than others. Have your children had the chance? Well, I imagine they have had the chance, but have they sort of um, been able to tell you and have you been able to hear more about what their experience has been from their perspective? Well, we were really tight. Like, like I worked together with them in writing this book. I didn't ever want to put stories out about them uh, without their uh, permission or knowledge. So they were with me throughout this writing process all along the way. They helped me remember things because I would say to my son, like, remember when I went to Utah to visit you and that happened? How do you remember that? <laughs> and so we really worked together on it, which was which was nice. And they're completely supportive. In fact, my son is, uh, has a book club and they read the book uh, in the book club. Wow. He a was, little embarrassing, but. I mean, if you're going to read it in a book club, you want to read it with your son, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And then I, I had a little, I was able to join in a little bit for the final discussion, which was, which was nice. The other thing that I've picked up on a lot in the book is that there, the material conditions of your life sounded quite nice. Mm-hmm. Like there was a fireplace in your bedroom there. You lived, you know, near New York city, but sort of in the country. And mm-hmm. like, there was, there was a new house that went up for sale next door. And, you know, you're like, mm-hmm. yes, this is mine. You felt it and you were able to purchase it. Do you feel like there were like, like when you have all of the material trappings, it seems does that do any, is that relevant at all for someone who is going through like a personal crisis or does all that sort of like become inconsequential? Like, does it only matter if there's a fireplace in your bedroom, if you're happy? I'm listen, I'm so glad you brought that up because a lot of the, I sometimes, um, I have a lot of people that reach out to me on, on, on DMs. Um, and a lot of them for the most part are really positive saying, you know, I'm so glad you were so open and honest. I've, you know, haven't wanted to deal with it. If it's kind of like, if you can put it out there, I, I, I can too. But then I also had a lot of women that just said, what are you whining and complaining about? You know, because it was obvious I wasn't financially struggling. I was emotionally struggling and I was dealing with uh, the addiction of like binge drinking and, and trying to hide my pain, you know, behind alcohol and, and bad behavior and this pursuit of youthfulness is trying to go backwards in time, which you just can't do. But if you, you know, you can get help if you have financial um, support, you know, you can seek help that maybe other people can't, but that is one area where uh, a lot of women came at me and said, you know, you can put food on the, obviously put food on the table for your kids and you you're sitting in front of your fireplace, shut up. But, you know, I, I understand that. I do understand that to a degree because the, the struggle I had was not that. And I do feel for everybody that's going through the type of emotional struggle I went through and still trying to put food on the table for their family. How do you, what is your new orientation towards aging? Well, I stopped coloring my hair. I'm letting the gray come out. I'm dealing with it, hopefully more gracefully. I'm recognizing that it just isn't going to stop. 
on um, for me it's more about uh finding an energy level and trying to stay as vital and healthy as i can especially someone who's immunocompromised i'm worrying a little bit less about the physical appearance like no botox no filler like nothing just letting it happen um and also you're now a professor at parsons right so I've been a professor there since 2014. So I've been teaching there Amazing. for quite a long time and love it. I love it. I'm online right now, uh, again, because of the pandemic, but um, fantastic school with really incredible creative students. Yeah. What do you, what's your sort of um, state of the young people? Um, so it's interesting. Like, I think I learned as much from them as uh, they can learn from me. And <clears throat> what I really learned from them is, how they get their information in the world, which is completely different from when I grew up and was just watching TV. They are getting everything from their digital world and social media. And the way information comes to them is really interesting to learn. And so we kind of, you know, they kind of teach me, I'm teaching them advertising, marketing, and branding. And they're actually teaching me how I get that message to them most efficiently and effectively. What, um, what is the thing that most people don't realize about advertising? Um, a lot of times people will go into advertising and I hear this from my students because they think it's fun and they think it's just a creative process. And once they ha have to really think about the strategy that is behind everything, the targeting of the correct audience, the tone, the personality, bringing brand values to life, all the stuff that goes behind an ad, that is sort of eye-opening for them because they just want to sit around and brainstorm ideas. And I'm like, you can't do, that comes after. When <laughs> the, the beginning part of your book, it details you being the CEO of your advertising firm and sort of the firm crumbling sort of beneath your feet and you having yeah. to make all of these concessions for clients that sort of are treating you poorly. And there's this really sort of uncomfortable parallel between your professional life and your inner life, sort of both being in turmoil. What do you think um, in general, like what role does somebody's work life, how does that sort of feed or not into someone's personal life? And do you sort of have any advice about that? I mean, we, we work so much that it's probably, I, I think, very hard to, to separate work life and personal life. Everybody's, of course, striving for work-life balance. And there's all these sort of aphorisms of like, you know, leave work at the office, don't bring it home. I mean, I've never been able to, to do that. It's just been one big giant swirl for me, so connected. So, and, you know, the demise of my work life and my agency really mimicked and mirrored what I was feeling at home. And it was all just on a business and personal level, just sinking into one giant black hole all at the same time. Do you, were there other people who you would work with and you'd be like, they obviously leave their, you know, work at the office and like they're, they don't work as hard as me or sort of like, they're not out to get it. You know, do you sort of now feel like maybe they had it right? I think people that are driven by passion and what they do aren't necessarily setting boundaries. I think they're trying to just, you know, follow their heart a little bit more than a schedule. Um, I do appreciate the people that are able to kind of turn off. I've never been able to turn 
turn off on, on any level. <laughs> like whether it's, you know, clearly I, uh, that should come out in the book. Like I just couldn't turn it off. So um, good for them. It's not the way I work. I'm much more heart driven and uh, doesn't always cause me to make the best life decision, but you know, you do it. You're working on your mm -hmm. second book. I am. Um, I it's going to be a novel. It's not another memoir. And um, that's about all I can say right now. It's just a work early work in progress. Do you um, have any advice for people who, well, first of all, how do you feel about advice in general? I'm happy to always give it, you know, I'm a teacher, right? I'm a professor, I'm constantly giving advice on the mother of three, a New Yorker, a professor, yeah, what do you want to yeah. know? Mother, yeah, yeah. mother of three, what do you want to know? That's right. I got an answer for you. So yeah, I'm, I will help anybody and everyone if I can. And if I can't, I'm, uh, we'll say, I'm not sure that I'm the right person to be uh -huh. speaking with. But um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think, again, I'm a huge believer in mentorship. Yeah. And I really try to be to as many people who want it, not just an advice giver, but a mentor, which is a deeper, more nurturing type of relationship that I think will really help people, um, you know, grow. And a lot of people need that in their, in their business life a lot. Did you find that a lot of your girlfriends or other people your age, like have gone through similar stages like you did and wrote about, but just haven't talked about it or you didn't know? <clears throat> So one of the things that came out in this book after I wrote it, where a lot of my girlfriends would call me up and say, I had no idea you were feeling this way. Like, why didn't you ever talk about it? Like I was, we, we spoke every week or I would have been there for whatever way you wanted. And, and um, that was one of the big reasons that I decided to write the book because I, I realized I'd kind of been living this lie, you know, and living behind this facade I created of everything's great, everything's fine, yeah, no worries, we're cool. And then I'd go home and like crawl in bed and, you know, put my head under the covers and, you know, drink a bottle of wine. But um, I wanted to just kind of put this book out for everybody, friend or not, who wasn't really sharing with the people in their life and letting them know how they felt and asking them for help for fear that they'd be considered, you know, perhaps not as strong or not the person that, you know, I thought you were and, and all these ideas in my head, none of them turned out to be true. In the end, everybody was actually super annoyed with me. My friends like, why would you hide this from us? We're friends. <laughs> I was just like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't talk about it. Do you think a midlife crisis is coming for everybody? So just like look out for it, or do you think that it's an avoidable thing? I do think it's coming for everybody, but it doesn't have to necessarily be a midlife crisis. I think if you don't get through life with some life crisis, I don't think you're, you know, living, uh, living a, a life that's taking as enough risks. I think life is about taking some risks, you know, calculated risks. And when you sort of do that, and that's kind of what moves us forward a lot of times in the next step, even if it's like, should I move to a new city for a new job opportunity? That's a big decision for a lot of people. And that can cause a little bit of a life crisis. So I think when you're living life to the fullest, and trying to make decisions that are moving you forward in one way or another, you'll have a little crisis now and then talk to your friends about it would be my advice. Let everybody know how you're feeling. Don't hide it and pretend nothing's wrong. 
And what about for people who feel like there is, um, they're at a place that you were at in the book, they're under the covers of drinking a bottle of wine, they're not telling yeah. anybody, and they feel like they they sort of can't or shouldn't, or maybe it'll get better, maybe not. Like there's a certain apathy or kind of, um, uh, re- they've receded from life. What, uh, sort of what brought you, I have an idea, but you can share what brought you yeah. sort of back from that res- personal recession. Um, and what would you say to somebody who might be going through it, that similar thing? I would say you have to talk to someone, whether it's, you know, whoever is that trusted person or people in your life or even uh, um, a therapist, but you, you have to talk to someone. And, but more importantly, you really have to talk to yourself first and, and convince yourself that it's time to get out of bed and put the wine away and get back into the world because it's just moving along with, without you. And writing a memoir like this, like there will be lobster, it makes you grapple with the truth. Whatever the truth is, your truth, you have to kind of grapple with it. And I think that's what people that are going through a hard time really need to do. They need to stop and they need to pause and they need to really kind of soul search and think about what's their truth that they need to deal with. And then don't keep it yourself. And and what would you say your truth was that you dealt with? My truth that I had to deal with that I was living, I thought uh, one life on the outside and, and one life on the inside. You know, I was, I was living this life of everything's great. Let's go have a drink of wine. Let's meet for some, <clears throat> let's meet for some rosé. Sure. You know, let's, yeah, I'm up for dinner. No problem. Like it was like, everything was good. Everything was easy, but it was a different story in private. And I felt like Jekyll and Hyde in a way. And you can't live a double life like that. It's exhausting. Well, Sarah, I admire your bravery and tenacity and humor. And uh, I'm so happy you wrote There Will Be Lobster. And I look forward to your second book. Well, thank you, Dan. And thank you for having me on your show. I'm so thrilled to have met you and have this opportunity to talk with you.